From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Episode 8 has rolled around and in this episode we'll be looking at the next steps to take when your sleep aids stop working and you find yourself still waking up for no reason. Now it's fair to say I prescribe a few things in the clinic that raise my patient's eyebrows, no more so than when I prescribe a herbal and nutritional formula for blood sugar levels to be taken in the morning to fix a problem centered largely around waking up at night. I can just hear my patient's inner voice saying, oh my god, I've come to get my sleep sorted out and this guy's giving me something to take when I wake up. What a, yeah, anyway, fill in the blank, what a... But I'm going to continue to treat blood sugar for sleep because I've actually seen it work so often and this is what we're going to look at this episode. So studies have shown that low sleep quality affects glucose levels negatively, increasing something called dysglycemia, which is an imbalanced blood sugar level, depending on the the deviation of the hours slept. And what what I mean by that is just how little sleep you've had. Now, this episode will explore how taking some positive action to get your blood sugar levels under control can positively affect your sleep quality, especially the number of times you're waking up at night, which we've got a full section about that and why that's happening. So strap in, get set, and here we go. Look, let's look at the connection between sleep, sugar cravings during the day, and obesity. Yep, those sugar cravings you experience during the day may be caused by your sleep affecting the quality of your diet and dietary intake during the day, especially when you're a teenager. Now, a little fun fact, I'm sure you're getting used to my fun facts by now. Fun fact is that the change in our taste buds actually drives the craving for unhealthy food and that change in your taste buds is caused by lack of sleep. So put another way, lack of sleep changes your taste buds, would you believe? If you're interested in the science behind the sugar cravings aside from the change in your palate, then it comes down to how glucose transport is affected. Now, GLUT1 and GLUT4, two buses if you like, that that glucose boards to travel to the brain are downregulated by poor sleep quality. So this transport issue means that ultimately less glucose is getting into your brain, creating quite quite the resource problem for your body's supercomputer. The solution then is eat more glucose so that the brain can get what it needs with an obvious consequence of succumbing to these unhealthy sugar cravings leading to obesity. So why do we care about this so much when it comes to sleep? The answer is the vicious cycle that forms. Indulging in unhealthy food cravings caused by lack of sleep then affects your sleep quality the next night, making the problem worse the next day and the next, compounding itself in the process. 
To further amplify this, sleep deprivation also affects insulin's ability to deal with glucose. You may have heard of a term called insulin resistance, and if you're interested in looking up some of this science, you can find the references to these studies that I'm talking about in the show notes. But a study showed a pretty alarming result in that just one night of partial sleep deprivation induces insulin resistance in multiple metabolic pathways. Let me read that again. A study showed that a pretty alarming result, one night of partial sleep deprivation induces insulin resistance in multiple pathways in the body. One night of partial sleep is all that it takes. Now, conversely, extending sleep and its quality positively affected your insulin's effectiveness, reduced overall appetite, the desire for sweet and salty foods, and also daily free sugar intake. So one of these key parts about this is that I've lost count of how many patients looking to manage their weight don't sleep well. So maybe this is starting to make a little more sense. Hopefully the connection between your sleep and your eating patterns is now becoming a little more apparent even before the nuts and bolts of hyperglycemia or low blood sugar are considered, which is something that we're going to look at now. If you knew the term hyperglycemia, what are the symptoms of it? So having low blood sugar can present itself in many ways during the day. And I often ask patients to recount how they felt the last time they missed a meal. For most, it's pretty clear how things change. But if you're unsure, here is a list of symptoms. So you've got pale skin or pallor, which is somewhat kind of yellowish uh, looking uh, uh, element of the skin or a presentation of the skin if you like. You also see a lot of anemic people. Uh, sweating is another symptom. Shakiness or tremor. Hunger. Anxiety. Irritability. I believe the term is hangry. Headache. Dizziness. Confusion. Disorientation. So any combination of those would be pretty, you know, not, not the best experience, let's say. I also like to ask about energy levels during the day associated with these symptoms as well and a way to do that. If you generally feel low in energy before eating but then feel a big energy boost after eating, this can also signify some imbalanced blood sugar. It's not just about having high uh, glucose or high glycemic load foods that are going to naturally give you that energy it's also if you just have a relatively uh, low glycemic uh, meal and still get that big energy boost it kind of means you're coming into the meal with quite low blood sugar here i go again talking about what's happening in the daytime when you're here to try and find out why you're waking up at night. So who am I and what's with me? Well, the reason why I talk about this a lot is because what's most likely happening during the day is also being mimicked at night, and this is where it comes to your sleep. Now, I mentioned this just a little bit before, but to illustrate this statement to patients, I create a hypothetical, which we'll go through now. Imagine that you had a minimal breakfast because you weren't feeling the best digestively, thinking that you pick something up at some stage in the morning, maybe when you felt a little bit better. Then, unexpectedly, you're called into a meeting that runs over lunch. As you sit in the meeting, it's now been almost five hours since you've eaten anything. How would you feel? Would any of the symptoms that we just previously touched on be relevant for you? Now, let's extrapolate that out to night time. So after going to bed at 10 p.m., early for most in Hong Kong and probably around the world, remember this is hypothetical. You find yourself waking up with a burst of adrenaline at 2 a.m., wondering what the hell happened. If you're disoriented, anxious for no reason, and find it difficult to calm down. The common theme between most of these scenarios or between these two scenarios is fasting. 
Waking up between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. is extremely common for many of my patients and for some even earlier. The majority of the time this equates to having fasted between 4 or 5 hours from the time that you went to bed to the time that you've woken up. So what do you think? Does some of this information feel appropriate to you? We're going to take a quick break and after the break we're going to look into why your blood sugar is waking you up and get some evidence-based solutions from herbal and nutritional supplements to exercise and also we're going to ask if intermittent fasting might be able to help you. So we'll see you after the break. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Free and Inspired Radio. In this episode, we're talking about why your blood sugar is the next step to take when the sleep aids stop working. So in part one, we break down some of the mechanisms driving the connection between sleep and your blood sugar. And in this part two coming up, we're going to look at why your blood sugar wakes you up and finish up with some evidence-based options for you to begin bringing things back to balance. But first, let's look at why your blood sugar is waking you up. So why does having low blood sugar cause me to wake up with such a jolt? Now, when I mention this to patients, everyone knows it's a strange sensation that you almost wake up with a start and it's not due to a nightmare or some type of fright or a noise. It's actually that you just wake up feeling quite adrenalized. So the answer is down to the relationship between your hormones and your blood sugar. When your blood sugar is below acceptable levels in the blood, your ever-present adrenal glands step up to increase your cortisol, your stress hormone, adrenaline, and norepinephrine, which when working together to increase your heart rate and get the blood pumping around the body, hence why you feel like you've just had a big fright. This burst of adrenaline sounds precisely like what you would like to happen or what you want to happen when you're trying to have a restful sleep, but also explains why you might be waking up multiple times a night. Because when you wake up, your blood sugar then kind of resets. But then if you think about it, you go to sleep again, and in three hours or two hours, your blood sugar then drops back down to that unacceptable level again. Adrenaline, cortisol, norepinephrine, get another quick jolt, and here you are awake again. Building on this, the same process of hyperglycemia causes inflammatory chemicals called cytokines to increase, forcing inflammation levels up in the blood. Now it gets better. Increases in a particular inflammatory cytokine called interleukin-1 or IL-1 has been shown in studies to increase the severity of hypoglycemia, making the whole process compound repeatedly. So as you get more inflamed because of the hypoglycemia, the inflammation then makes the hypoglycemia worse. So even just in this short time in the podcast, we've already seen two vicious cycles that can occur where sleep is making you crave more sugar, but then now the low sugar is causing more inflammation which is causing then more low sugar not what we want but this inflammation 
increase can go some way to explaining why some people experience headaches in the morning, chronic fatigue or mood changes on waking, especially if you experience some form of anxiety. I've had quite a large proportion of patients over the years who find that they're more anxious in the morning. Now, this could also be why. Interestingly, though, but if you also have an autoimmune condition or any issues with inflammation in general, this is where looking at your blood sugar is imperative, but also something that you may not have actually considered. So what evidence-based things can we do to help you rebalance your blood sugar? Herbal and nutritional formulas can be a great gateway to getting things back on track. Um, herbs such as fenugreek, nigella, gymnema, cinnamon, some of which you may have heard of, some of which you may have may haven't heard of, all have significant effects on glucose transport, helping glucose travel around the body effectively, but also in some ways helping your insulin to become a little more effective at dealing with glucose, which is super important. Nutritional supplementation can also be beneficial with vitamin B6 being a, an essential form of currency that helps the body metabolize glucose, so just even in normal conditions. Chromium is also well known for its role in managing glucose. You might have even heard of chromium before. Now, meta-analysis, so that a meta-analysis is a review that looks at multiple studies and pulls the information together to make a broader conclusion, found that chromium was beneficial for insulin and fasting glucose, which is kind of cool. Now, in proper natural medicine form, it's not all about capsules and tablets. Exercise and time-restricted eating can help too. So exercise in the case of blood sugar management is once again one of the significant interventions. And look, let's be honest, is there ever a time where exercise isn't a promising lifestyle intervention that can also improve your insulin sensitivity and blood glucose control? So regular exercise, let's give you a sense of what that means. So generally, three times a week, uh, walking will do it. But obviously, we'd like to get the blood pumping a little bit more than that. So doing something that's within your own parameters. So if you're new to exercise, for example, just start walking as regularly as you can for around about 30 minutes to get started. Then slowly but surely, you can build up from there. Don't try and become David Goggins, uh, as I have tried to in the past. Uh, start nicely and slowly and build yourself up. The urgency is not as urgent as you think and you will make progress, but even just walking will help you manage your insulin sensitivity and your blood glucose control in the context of what we're talking about here, but it will also help you sleep, getting some of that fresh air as well. Now, a small uh, side note here is that getting some walking done in the morning straight away when you wake up will also help your sleep as well because it helps you with your cortisol levels. So trying to do some exercise outside is important is I guess what I'm trying to say. Let's look at intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting in the form of time-restricted eating. So remember, time-restricted eating is a form of intermittent fasting, not the same thing. Uh, has some clear benefits for managing fasting glucose and assisting with insulin res re resistance. A study using a 10-hour eating window and a 14-hour fast. So the time they did was 8 a.m. to 6 uh, p.m., I think was their eating window in this study, saw significant changes in fasting glucose levels. And in a broader sense, preliminary research suggests that over 16 weeks, time-restricted eating, uh, this time in this study was a 10- or 11-hour eating window, uh, helped improve sleep. Now... That needs a little bit more study. So unfortunately, many of the studies with time-restricted eating have low sample sizes when looking at sleep 
specifically. Uh, they are pretty subjective also, that making it difficult to ascertain how this form of intermittent fasting uh, makes a difference. But as far as managing your blood sugar levels are concerned, it might be worth a try once the supplements have kind of elevated you to a place where your lifestyle can take over. Now, this is a really important thing that I'm just going to add in. It won't be as part of the transcript, but that's why you listen to the podcast, right? The A lot of people try 18.6 quickly, and they start at 18.6, but you'll find that if you look into the, some of the studies, they're actually looking at maybe 10 to 12 hour fasting windows. Now, there's actually some interesting research to suggest that a 12 to 13 hour window of fasting for breast cancer remission is good enough to help you get some of the benefits of having a kind of time-restricted fasting window um, uh, or eating window, excuse me. So it doesn't have to be the intense, you know, kind of 18-6 or anything like that. If you wanted to start with a 10-hour eating window where you can eat from 8 a.m. to 6, for example, start there and you'll be actually uh, kind of mirroring some of the studies that still have really positive results. So once again, with the exercise, you don't have to go in and jump in and try and do everything all at once. Start low, go slow and see if you can actually get some benefits without having to kind of ruffle up your life and challenge yourself too much because that can put a bit of stress on things as well. So correcting your blood sugar can take a little while, but it can help you with more than just sleep. It's no secret to anyone who has experienced poor sleep just how much it can impact the quality of your day. Multiple studies have in fact proven this with short sleep duration insomnia symptoms associated with lower happiness in Chinese adults in Hong Kong. Most of the time you can use herbal medicine to correct your sleep, but in this episode we've explored what to consider when the sleep aids stop working or don't work, even worse. Balancing your blood sugar can profoundly affect your sleep-wake cycle, but can also help you live a, a happier and longer life. Now, as with the last episode, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. Diabetes is a significant cause of death in Hong Kong, and its prevalence is rising quickly. The WHO report that reported that people living with diabetes increased from 108 million in 1980 to 422 million people in 2014. This number is predicted to be around about 537 million or 1 in 10 adults in 2021 with further predictions hitting 643 million people by 2030. Now, if you're already seeing your blood sugar affect your sleep, chances are in 10 years diabetes is on the menu for you. This is why I go on this little rant about diabetes because it's to say that your sleep disturbances may actually come as a blessing, one that allows you to fix your sleep in the short term but also prevent the development of a more profound illness responsible for killing 6.7 million people in 2021. That's one every five seconds. So there you go, rant over. Once again, though, what I hope you found today is that once again, you have the power to control the outcome here by making some of the changes that we've talked about in this episode and seeking some help if you need it. For example, herbal, nutritional advice, etc. You don't have to suffer. It's in your hands, as always is the message here at Freedoms Inspired Radio. So what do you think? If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's always much appreciated. Share the episode with people you might think who will benefit from 
uh, this episode and some of the information here and all the good stuff can get the word out and it will be very much appreciated. I write a new article on a different element of the gut and mental health every week on philipwatkins.health. So if you'd like to hear more about that or be first with some more exclusive content uh, within my email community, then you can uh, sign up via the website and get added to our growing community of people. For now, have a fantastic week. I really do appreciate you joining us for this episode and talking about sleep and blood sugar. I hope you find as much to be grateful for as possible this week and I look forward to connecting with you for the next episode next week on Free and Inspired Radio. Speak to you then. Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.